Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here. And as we begin today, I want us to consider what are the hardest words to say. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but in 2010, there was a volcano in Iceland that erupted. Uh, and the name of the volcano uh, is this. We're going to put it on the screen. Uh, how would you pronounce this name? Now, this was big news in 2010 because there was a lot of ash that was put up into the air. It impacted international travel. It delayed flights. All sorts of things were happening. And so there were all of these newscasters who were attempting to say this name. And as you can imagine, they had great difficulty. Uh, and our tech team has put together a little video of people trying to say this name. Great. What, what is, what is Eyjafjallajökull? Eyjafjallajökull. Excuse me? Eyjafjallajökull. Says, just think of, hey, you forgot your yogurt, and that's yeah. kind of close. I have forgot my yogurt. yogurt. Yeah. I forgot my yogurt. What are the hardest words to say? I once heard someone uh, say that the four hardest words in the English language are, will you forgive me? And it's true, we know that it's a lot harder for us to say, will you forgive me, than it is to simply say, I'm sorry. But as I have gotten older, as I have lived a little bit of life, I've started to wonder if maybe the hardest words for us to say is really three words. I forgive you. Do we find it harder to ask for forgiveness or to grant forgiveness? Which one do you find more difficult to say in your life? Well, we are talking today about forgiveness. And last Sunday, John shared a great message on how we are to forgive. Jesus commands us to forgive. And he was looking at our motivation for why do we forgive. And today I want us to consider how can we forgive? How can we grant forgiveness to others? Because I think often, if, if you're here as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, uh, then we know we're supposed to forgive. We would consider forgiveness to be something worthwhile, something good in our lives. And yet, because forgiveness isn't easy, and because it doesn't just come naturally to us, often we don't always forgive. And some people can find it incredibly difficult, if not impossible, for them to forgive. And so today I want us to consider some of the challenges 
and also the possibilities that we have when it comes to forgiveness, granting forgiveness. And the first challenge that I want us to consider is that granting forgiveness is countercultural. Right? The books and the movies and the TV shows that we watch often are not promoting forgiveness. Our culture doesn't love forgiveness as much as it loves vengeance. Right? Consider our superheroes. They're called the Avengers. They're not the forgivers. Tony Stark says, if we can't protect the earth, you can be sure that we will avenge it. We love stories of vengeance. We like it when the underdog sticks it to that bully, right? When it turns the tables, flips the script, and now they get to give it to the one who has given it to them. Our culture loves stories of vengeance that go even beyond just justice. Like, consider uh, in the first John Wick movie, the bad guys kill John Wick's dog. And then John Wick kills 77 bad guys over the rest of the movie, right? Our culture loves stuff like that. We can think of all the gangster movies and all the different things that we've enjoyed, stories of vengeance, far more than stories of forgiveness. How many movies have you watched about couples who do the hard work of forgiving each other, working on the difficult parts of their marriage, Usually, the plot is just that their spouse cheats on them, which frees them up to hook up with somebody even better for them. Our culture does not support forgiveness, and even we can see it in your friends and your family. They may not encourage you to forgive, because some people see forgiveness as weak, or we see it as unjust, we see it as unnecessary something that doesn't really matter in our lives. It's a take it or leave it. Sure, you could forgive them. And so if we are going to be people who forgive, we need to recognize that forgiveness is often countercultural. And even those who believe in forgiveness or the secular forgiveness that we can see isn't always going to align with what God asks us to do in granting forgiveness to those who hurt us. So the first challenge that we face is that granting forgiveness is countercultural. Another challenge that we face is that granting forgiveness is hard. Ghosting someone is easy. Just disappearing, never contacting them again. They don't even know how to find you. That's easy. Forgiving someone is hard. Canceling someone is easy reconciling with them is hard. The challenge of forgiveness is that it is difficult for us to do. Granting forgiveness is hard. In fact, it may be the hardest thing that you do in your life. It might be the great work of your life that God is doing inside of you, in your heart, bringing you to a place where you can extend forgiveness to that person who hurts you. It might be that God is creating a masterpiece inside of your heart that no one else even knows about. And yet your father in heaven looks down and is so proud of the work that you have done, the hard 
good work of forgiving that person. Granting forgiveness is hard. But we need to remember that it is so worthwhile for us to grant forgiveness, to extend forgiveness. The Bible talks about it in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. I want us to take a look at this verse. So we remind ourselves, this is what we do when we forgive others. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That every time you forgive someone, you are doing the good, hard work that is conquering evil in your life. That we don't want to allow unforgiveness and bitterness to get its claws, its hooks into our life. None of us want to be conquered by evil. All of us here, we want to win. We don't want to be overcome. And so we need to have this perspective that there is a good but difficult work that we are to do. And it's to forgive one another. To forgive those who have so deeply hurt us or wronged us. But granting forgiveness is hard. A few years ago, I read a book about pastoral couples who were experiencing crisis. And to me, it was the scariest book that I have ever read. I mean, you could hand me any horror novel, any thriller, and it would not be as terrifying as it was for me to read about these pastoral couples, these God-fearing people who gave their lives to shepherding others and to following God, people who we would look at as being spiritually mature, knowing all these things, and yet how example after example of their marriages falling apart. It was terrifying. And I'll never forget the first example in the book is of a couple named the Watsons. And the Watsons were pastors, and they were married for 37 years, and then they got divorced. And then the author of this book, the interviewer, came and met with them 20 years after they had separated. And so now they are in the later stages of their life. They were married for 37 years, now separated for 20 years. And then I want to read this quote to you. Of This is what the interviewer says after talking with them. It says, what is perhaps most tragic is that 21 years after separation, so little has mellowed. The accusations remain as astringent as ever. The stories as one-sided and therefore contradictory as they must have been two decades ago. There is still not resolution and acceptance. Both continue church attendance and profess a love and commitment to God. But reconciliation or even reinterpretation of the facts is apparently too much to hope for. None of us wants this result. This is a couple who, because of their own selfishness, they can't even be in the same room as each other. They have to visit their children separately because they just can't even be civil around one another. Can you imagine that thing in your heart, that thing you find so difficult to forgive, that wound that you carry? And imagine if 
Two decades from now, I came and talked to you about it. And yet there had been no movement in your heart. You were no closer to forgiving that person in 20 years from now as you are today. Isn't that a terrifying thought for us? But we need to recognize that forgiveness is a difficult work. Granting forgiveness is hard. But we need to never forget that granting forgiveness is possible. It is possible for us to do this good, hard work that we are called to do. It is possible. It might be countercultural, it might be hard, but it is possible. And really, I want to spend the rest of our time here today looking at how can we overcome evil with good? How can we conquer that evil thing? How can we actually forgive? So I want to share with you today four principles of forgiveness. If we're asking ourselves, how do I know if I've really forgiven that person? How do I know if the forgiveness that I'm extending is what God requires of me? How can we forgive? There's four principles, uh, and I've adapted them uh, from Dr. Timothy Keller, uh, his book called Forgive. And so I've taken uh, his four points of his biblical definition on what it means to forgive and turn those into four points for us to consider today. And then we're going to look at what the Bible says about each of these things as we look to forgive one another. So how do we forgive? Principle number one, granting forgiveness requires honesty. Granting forgiveness requires honesty. You must be honest. Doesn't mean that the other person is going to be honest with you, but you must be honest. Granting forgiveness requires honesty. In the book of Genesis, there's a young man named Joseph, and he, uh, his brothers are jealous of him, and so they sell him into slavery. And then Joseph lives a difficult life as a slave, and then he's in prison, but then by God's hand, he's promoted and he becomes the second in command in Egypt. And then his brothers come to him, not realizing that he is their brother Joseph. And now Joseph has his brothers in his hand. What will he do with his brothers? And it says uh, in Genesis chapter 50 that uh, his brothers, they go home. And they tell their father, Jacob, that Joseph is now alive. Joseph, who they deceived their father. They told him that he had died, that wild animals had killed him. They deceived him. And then Jacob sends a message to Joseph. And this is what he says uh, to his son Joseph. In verse 17, it says, Please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. Jacob is asking Joseph to forgive his brothers, but he doesn't pull any punches. He's honest about what happened. There was a great wrong that was done to you, Joseph. 
There was, you were sinned against. There's an honesty that is required. If we are going to forgive, we need to be honest with ourselves about what happened, about the hurt that we've encountered. That means if we're honest, that we can't just be in denial about it. We can't sweep it under the rug. We can't minimize it and pretend like it's no big deal. We need to acknowledge the great wrong, the sin. We need to be honest about it. Not blowing it up and maximizing it into something that it's not. And when we look at this story with Jacob, the father, and with Joseph, both of them had to forgive. Jacob had to forgive his sons who sold his other son into slavery and then lied to him. And the cost that that had on him of not being able to see his son grow up, not being able to be with him in his life, there was a cost. And Jacob had to extend forgiveness to his sons. And then he's asking from a position of someone who has forgiven, now he's asking Joseph to forgive. But by being honest, and we need to be honest, I think sometimes... The greatest challenge that we have when it comes to forgiveness is just being honest about how we really feel, about the hurt that, and our emotions, that oftentimes we don't really want to take a look at those things. We don't really want to open up those things. It's easier if we just never look at those. But if we want to forgive, it requires us to be honest. The second principle of forgiveness is that granting forgiveness requires humility. Often, when someone sins against us, when someone wrongs us, we put ourselves in the position of saying, I would never do what you did. And that might be true. But we put ourselves into this position of superiority where we start to convince ourselves that we are better than them. And so we enthrone ourselves. We kind of puff ourselves up and say, oh, well, maybe I'll forgive you. Maybe I will choose to generously dole out forgiveness to you. Maybe if you grovel, maybe if you suffer, then I will forgive. But if we're going to forgive, we can't forgive from a position of pride. We need to be in a position of humility. Because if you're here as a Christian, and that means that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins, that your sins have been forgiven. And when we recognize the enormity of all of our sin, that Jesus has forgiven us, all of that sin, then it brings us to a place of humility to say, who am I to not forgive? Who am I to not forgive? forgive. Jesus tells a parable about a son who comes to his father. And essentially he says, dad, I don't really care about you. I don't really care about the family. I care about your stuff. I kind of wish you were dead so I could just get my inheritance, but you're still kicking. You're still around. And so please just give me everything that's coming to me. And he takes all his inheritance and he runs off with it. And then he wastes it on wild living. And then eventually he comes to his senses and he determines, all right, well, I might as well go home and just be a servant. I know I can't be a son. I've embarrassed my dad. I've shamed the family. But maybe I could just be a servant. And then it says that the father sees his son. And the father runs 
to his son. The father doesn't put himself in a place of superiority. He doesn't wait inside the house in his chair and make his son come before him and kiss the ring and grovel before him. No, the father runs to the son. It's a position of humility because in that culture, at that time, kids could run around and women could run, but if you were the patriarch of a family, well, then you didn't run anywhere. You were never in a hurry. You wore long robes, and in order for you to run, Well, you'd have to hike up your robes around your knee. You'd have to expose your lower leg, which would be embarrassing or shameful. And so that's not something that you would do. And yet that's exactly what this father does when he sees his son. He humbles himself. He runs to his son, his son who shamed him, who embarrassed the family. And yet from a position of humility, he extends forgiveness, welcoming him back as a son, throwing a big party for him. And for us, if we are going to forgive, forgiveness requires humility. The third principle of forgiveness is that granting forgiveness, it requires, we said, honesty, humility, and granting forgiveness requires that you release the desire for revenge. That desire we have to get them back. All of those thoughts we have about how we're really going to give it to them, how we just want to grind them down, all those fantasies we have of them getting their comeuppance. Can we be those who release the desire for revenge? Now, actions have consequences. And consequences and revenge are different things. It's not that they are released from all consequences for what they have done. It doesn't mean that we instantly trust them, as John said last week, that forgiveness and trust are different things. So there may be consequences that come because of their actions. But what we can do is release the desire that we have that lives inside of us for revenge for getting them back. Can you release that desire for revenge? Paul has an issue with another person and he talks about it in 2 Timothy. He writes this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. And this is what he says. I want to read it to you. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. It says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Paul is honest about it. He's not in denial about what's happened. It's, there's been great harm that's been done to him, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Paul puts it into the hands of the Lord. Joseph, when he has his brothers in his hands, he does not sell them into slavery. He doesn't make them his slaves. He extends forgiveness. He releases that desire he has for revenge. Can we do the same? Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. When we release 
that situation, that desire we have for revenge, when we release it to the Lord, we are putting it in more capable hands than ours. We are humbling ourselves to say, who am I to judge? Who am I to determine what happens next? God, I release this and put this into your hands. God, you are the righteous judge. I leave this with you. I will not desire revenge. And in the fourth principle of forgiveness, if we want to biblically forgive someone, to grant forgiveness, we recognize this is challenging. This is not easy. This is hard work for us to be honest, for us to be humble, for us to release that desire for revenge. And the fourth principle is that granting forgiveness requires us to aim for reconciliation. If you are a Christian, then that means that you have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how now we as the church, as brothers and sisters, as children of God, we have the ministry of reconciliation. We are all about seeing people being reconciled to God through Jesus. And we're all about forgiving one another, reconciling with each other. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it's possible, as far as it is up to you, can we be those who aim our hearts at reconciliation? Now, reconciliation may not always be possible. If the person who hurt you has passed away, there's no chance for that closure with an individual that you would like. If that person who hurt you is an unsafe person, then we're not going to put ourselves into a position of danger. We're not gonna be unwise when it comes to reconciling. But if possible, as far as it is up to us, can we aim our hearts at living peacefully with one another? Aim our hearts at having a desire to forgive and to reconcile, to not allow 20 years to go by and nothing changes at all in our hearts or in our lives. What is the direction of your heart? Are you aimed at reconciliation? Now imagine Paul, Paul who persecuted Christians and then became a Christian. Imagine if the apostles had canceled Paul and they said, Paul, because of what you have done, you persecuted our friends. You were there. You're holding the coats when Stephen got stoned. And so because of that, we will never listen to you. We will never work with you. It doesn't matter what you are doing. We are completely done with you. What would have been lost? But their hearts were set on reconciliation. Didn't mean that it was instantaneous. Didn't mean that Paul escaped all the consequences. But their hearts were aimed at reconciliation. What is the direction of your heart? Here's a quick test to see where, if our heart is aimed at reconciliation. Romans chapter 12 Verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. 
Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. These are not easy words for us to live by, but they help reveal what's happening in our hearts. Can we be those who say, I'm gonna aim my heart towards reconciliation? Can we be humble? Can we be honest? Can we release the desire for revenge? Can we aim at reconciliation? Now, how can we do this? How can we do it? Because I know for some of us, we're carrying such deep hurts, such deep wounds, and we want to forgive, but sometimes forgiveness can seem impossible. It can seem like it's a bridge too far. How can we truly forgive? And I want us to look at, just as we're coming to the end here, I want to look at 2 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is what we are called to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For God called you to do good. God has called us. You have been called to do the good, hard work. You are called to forgive. We are called to overcome evil with good. Even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you. So yes, it may be painful. Yes, it might be challenging and difficult, but it doesn't change the fact that we are called to do good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This is how we do this. We don't do it in our own strength. We don't do it in our own ability. If you try and forgive in this way on your own, you will break against forgiveness. It will wreck you. We have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He is our example. It makes me think of when the snow piles up in the winter and I put on my big winter boots and I go tromping through the snow and then behind me, comes my kids. And they can hop from footstep to footstep. They have a much easier time of following, following in my wake in the path that I have created for them. And that is what we do. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. He made a way and we follow his example. When we don't know what to do, when we say, I don't know how I could possibly forgive, we follow the example of Jesus. This is what it says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. He didn't sin. He didn't retaliate. He didn't desire revenge. He left his case in the capable hands of his heavenly father, the righteous judge. And now we follow in his example and we do what he did. We do it by the empowerment of his Holy Spirit that he helps us. And look at what it says here. He carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin 
and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. By his wounds, you are healed. How can you forgive? You can forgive because on the cross, the wounds that Jesus bore are healing your wounds. Those things that you carry in your heart, those hurts that feel impossible, those hurts where you're like, I don't know what I can do with this. I can't heal this. I can't fix this. But it's by his wounds that we experience his healing inside of us. And so you can forgive. Forgiveness is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because it's not in your own ability. It's not in your own strength. It's in following his example. We serve a God who makes the impossible possible because he heals our hearts. And now we can extend forgiveness. We follow his example. We're honest. We're humble. We release that desire for revenge and we aim for reconciliation. But we recognize it's hard. It's not easy for us to do. I know uh, two men who work together. I admire both of them. They worked together for a long time, and then they had a total falling out in their relationship. The kind of situation where they couldn't work together anymore. You couldn't even say the other person's name around either of them. You had to walk on eggshells and just tiptoe because you never knew. It was very volatile in this relationship that they no longer had. And then 15 years went by, and nothing changed. It was a type of situation where I repeatedly said, I don't think that this will ever get fixed. It would take a miracle for these two gentlemen to forgive each other. I did not have faith to believe that it would actually happen. And then one day, I got a phone call from one of those two men. After 15 years, they got together for breakfast and then they did the hard, good work of forgiving each other. It was absolutely a miracle. Only God could have done it. And I think that it's important that we recognize and remind ourselves that we serve a God who does the miraculous. That thing in your heart, it might seem impossible. Forgiveness might seem like you could never extend it. That situation in your family, that breakdown in that relationship that you see, you may not believe that it can change, but God can do the impossible. We need to have that perspective. Forgiveness is possible. You can forgive. As we come to the end, would you stand with me? We're going to pray in a couple ways. Because I'm asking you to do a good, hard work here today. I'm asking you to forgive your spouse. I'm asking you to forgive your kids. I'm asking you to forgive your parents. I'm asking you to forgive that coworker, to forgive that person who took advantage of you, who defrauded you. I'm asking you to forgive it's countercultural. It's not easy, but it's so worthwhile. You can overcome that evil thing with good because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. He can heal those wounds in your heart. By his wounds, we are healed. 
And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen, and I want us to pray this together out loud. We're going to read this together and make it a prayer from your heart. We're going to put it up on the screen here. I'm just going to wait so that we can say this prayer together. So you're going to pray this for yourself. Would you pray it with me? God, help me do the hard work of forgiveness. Lord, help me to be honest. Lord, help me to be humble. Lord, help me to release the desire for revenge. Lord, help me to aim for reconciliation. Amen.